morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. And today is Monday, June the 14th, and during this Pentecost season, we study the true and inspired Word of God, and the Holy Spirit helps us put on Christ's goggles as we study 2 Kings chapter 9. As we look at this chapter, it's fascinating because not only do we see consistent sin, but we start to see some renewal of names, almost like, wait, Jehoshaphat again? What's happening here? And unfortunately, we continue to see the same problems, but also we see the same Christ, the prefigurement of our Lord Jesus. And as I said, put on our Christ goggles. So let's dig in this morning for the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us Pastor Bob Hiller of Community Lutheran Church in Escondido and San Marcos, California. Pastor Hiller, welcome to Thy Strong Word. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Pastor. So, Pastor, tell us what's happening for you, uh, your family, and the work of the saints at Community Lutheran. You know, we are uh, things are going great here. We're kind of coming out of all the COVID madness right now. Next week, we're going back to our normal service times, indoors, no masks, the way everybody likes it. So we're pretty excited about that. We're going to have a big breakfast and celebration uh, for Father's Day and really to celebrate yeah. having two services instead of three and just getting back to normal. So we're excited about that. Um, I've been working on a website called Craft of Preaching, uh, which has been a great blessing to a number of pastors I know. So if you have any pastors listening out there and you're looking for some uh, help preaching through the lectionary for this next week, uh, check out Craft of Preaching and uh, see the work we're doing over there. It's it's been a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, just having a great time in ministry, my friend, just enjoying life. (laughs) Well, I think it's also something that's interesting as you say that, because you look at uh, other resources that we have for for preparing for our sermons. This is actually beneficial to to people who are listening to us um, to prepare as well. Hopefully, um, one, as they hear it, but two, as they pray for us as we preach, because Lord have mercy, we have Sundays that are not so good. Um, But also, (laughs) they can be prepared, too, to be like, wow, that makes sense, because this connects to this and that. Am I right? Something that our lady look at as well? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. I have uh, members of my congregation who will take a look at the site and say, "Oh, Pastor, I saw where you stole that illustration from." This they say it actually does help them listen to the sermon a little bit more closely and a little bit more uh, uh, knowledgeably. So, yeah, it's great. It's a it's a wonderful site. You know, we also have stuff up there. Uh, to help people think through what preaching is all about, uh, law and gospel in preaching. Um, it's just, it's been a very great blessing to be a part of it and to be able to help the church with it. So check it out if you guys get a chance. Absolutely. So uh, tell, how's your family doing? They're doing really well. We are, uh, mm-hmm. we, are, we are coming out of baseball season, moving into vacation season, baseball and dance, <laughs> dance for my daughter. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it gets to the hot season out here. I don't know quite what it's like up in Minnesota, but here in, in San Diego County, spring is beautiful. It's perfect. Uh, and then where I live in a little place called Valley Center, uh, once you hit July, it's about 102 for the next two months. So it's, it's, it's not as nice to play baseball outside then. So we're finishing up the season here. 
No, that is that is great because we in Minnesota we had a problem, and this is funny because we have a few guests that just love to talk about Minnesota weather, and uh, I think it's kind of interesting because sometimes that's all Minnesotans talk about. But anyways, it's uh, <laughs> we had ninety degree weather all week last week, and I uh, you know I coach track, and we had two meets in the midst of this, and um, that was uh, that was pretty bad, um, but it was an opportunity. I'll say this before we get to our text is our church is right next to the track. And I coached Chaplain Discus, and one of the great joys is one of the coaches um, from another team said, "Hey, can can we sit in your church? Um, you know, to because it was like four hours, and you don't really want kids, you know, between races for some of these athletes. And they're like, we don't want them sitting because there's no air conditioning opportunity here. And um, so we said, sure. So we had like a hundred plus kids kind of roaming through our fellowship hall during the track meet just to get out of the insane amount of heat. So that was yeah. a real blessing to be able to to serve and to an opportunity just to see real people and like, well, you're the you're a pastor here and you coach. Yeah. So it was just a lot of fun. Um, and the, the, the feeling's the same. You don't really want to be running a two mile uh, when it's 98 degrees outside. I don't think I've never done that. Have you done no, that I before? Don't. Uh, I think I've probably run two miles in that kind of temperature, and uh, I don't think I did it twice. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So, so Pastor, as we begin this morning, can you, as we look at Second Kings chapter nine, can you begin us in prayer? Yeah. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word, and we pray now that you would grant us your Holy Spirit so that we might read, learn, and inwardly digest this blessed message. Uh, Lord, point us to your Son Jesus, and uh, we thank you uh, for His atoning work for us on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions or comments concerning our study on 2 Kings chapter 9, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or as we now are doing, call in 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727, or uh, locally, I guess, is 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. As you can tell already, Pastor Hiller is a student of the Word of God and loves to do a lot of research. And uh, so if you have any questions, you can even try to stump them today. Um, give, us a, give, us, give us a call or an email this morning. So are you ready for that, Pastor? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how hard it's going to be to stump me on Second Kings, but we'll see what we can do here. <laughs> exactly. So, Pastor, as we get to Second Kings, there's never, there's never a time that we can't have enough review of how we got here. Like you said, is that, I mean, Second Kings is not one of those that you just fumble onto. You're like, oh, I want to study the book of the Bible. Okay, Second Kings, there it is. That's the one I want to study. Um, but but it's fascinating. It's a, it's a great book of the Bible. Of course, all of them are. But there's a lot of uh, pointing us to Jesus. There's a lot of pointing us to the problems we have in society. And there's nothing new under the sun, as we believe. So yeah. as we come to Second Kings chapter 9, um, what, are, what highlights do you want to give to us or background information to help us out? Well, it just you know, it's kind of interesting. We're going to start by talking about the prophet Elisha. Did you know today is the feast of Elisha? So very appropriate. Oh my uh, goodness, I for forgot us that. The, uh, getting into that today. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things to keep in mind. I think when I when I work through Kings, it's always helpful to remember that this was not written as uh, volume one and volume two. But if I'm if I'm understanding it correctly, uh, it was a one volume work that along the way was broken up because of the length. So uh, if we're have, there's, there's going to be a lot of things that go on in this chapter specifically that will refer back to instances that took place in 1 Kings. Uh, so you, you want to kind of 
read them as one long narrative. It's one long mm-hmm. story. Uh, the other thing I always think about when I read through Kings and and, and First and Second Samuel too. Uh, is that I, I think like one of the major themes we Christians need to notice is uh, we need a better king. Uh, every <laughs> king who comes on, even like the great ones like David, you know, Second uh, Samuel is just David messing up, messing up, sinning left and right. Uh, and, and you come to this and you'll see some kings do some great things and do some bad things. And so you leave these books thinking, good gracious, we need a better king. And you can see why when you get to the New Testament – Everybody is longing for some sort of Messiah, some king to come along and, and set them free. Uh, what we'll find here in Second Kings today is you'll get a glimpse of what an ideal king should look like, and yet that king is going to fall short, and he's going to sin, and there's going to be all kinds of things where uh, he is clearly not the Messiah. Uh, nonetheless, there are hints, or, or as the book of Hebrews might say, uh, shadows, types, uh, images of what God's Messiah, God's chosen anointed king is actually going to accomplish for us. So uh, this gets us longing, this text will get us longing for a greater king. Uh, The context itself is fascinating. Uh, We are in the midst of uh, a time in Israel's history where there is nothing but peace and happiness and joy, Uh, just like throughout all of Israel's history, nothing but happiness and blessedness. Uh, uh, That's obvious. That's that's obvious. Yeah. King Ahaziah is the king of the southern part of Israel, which is known as Judah. That's the southern kingdom. And then there's the northern kingdom, which is being headed up by a guy named Joram. Joram is the son of Ahab. And if you've been working through kings, you know Ahab is not a good king. Uh, He's one of the worst kings in Israel's history. He marries a woman named Jezebel, who is notorious for slaughtering prophets introducing false worship into Israel, for opposing uh, the great prophet Elijah, uh, for orchestrating the murder of a man named Namoth so that her husband would stop pouting over not getting what he wants. I mean, she is a, she's a wicked <laughs> character in the Bible, and her husband is no better. There, there are points where Ahab kind of repents, and it's a very fascinating thing. We're not going to get into Ahab here too much today. Uh, nonetheless, traditionally, historically, This guy introduced all kinds of sin and evil and false worship and immorality into Israel. Uh, And his son is now sitting on the throne in the northern kingdom. Um, And these two, Ahaziah and Joram, have forged an alliance to battle against a dude named uh, Hazael. Hazael. I'll let you pronounce that one later, Pastor (laughs) Finneran. That's right. (laughs) He's the king of Syria. King of Syria, now... Oh, man, this book is actually a lot of fun. Like, people who tell you the Bible is boring, they, they only tell you that because they don't read it. So <laughs> Elisha the prophet has come to Hazael one day and says, hey, listen, dude, uh, you're going to uh, take over and be king. Uh, and, and Hazel's even talking to Elisha. The only reason is because he's there on behalf of his king, Ben-Hadad, to see if Ben-Hadad will be healed from a disease. And Elisha starts, cry, or, yeah, starts crying and says to him, uh, he'll be healed, but he won't live. And Hazael's like, well, what, is, what does that mean? He's like, you're going you're gonna, to like, be an enemy of my people. And Hazael leaves, and he's like, you know, I think I'm going to murder Ben-Hadad. <laughs> so he goes back, murders his king, becomes king, and now is doing exactly what the prophet said. He's is, he is causing all kinds of havoc uh, in Israel and Judah. So Israel and Judah, for one of these rare times uh, in these books, they unite together, and they work together against Hazael, and that's the situation. Now, they've been fighting, and Joram is injured in the battle, 
And so he has mm-hmm. uh, gone to a place uh, called Jezreel to heal. Uh, he's injured, and this will be significant later on as we get into the text. But that's kind of the setup here um, for our situation. There's, there's war going on. Uh, there's battles taking place, uh, alliances being forged, and it's a big, messy political war. It's crazy. So very, very different, I'm sure, from our own day. Yeah, and I, I love how you, you, you laid it out, first of all, that they need a better king. And, and yeah. we can relate with this because no matter who is our leader politically, we'll use this line. We will say, well, I don't agree with that person in everything. And, right. and and it's just kind of sometimes disingenuous to say it that way because I mean Lord have mercy we don't we don't agree with our our spouse all the time you know we don't agree with our parents all the time or even the most theologically um, together that we can be with someone we would disagree with them so sometimes it's a little bit disingenuous um, in one sense but in the, in the same sense we look at it and we just like wow. Um, we always can do better, which is the life of the Christian repentance, forgiveness, mm-hmm. um, looking to the Holy Spirit to leading us. So once again, a reminder to pray for our leaders and know that this is nothing new, not to give up. But this is not a matter of not being um, um, being having good order or something, but just we need a better one. And then God makes it clear that we need a better one in these texts. There's no, uh, you know, sometimes you read history and it's like, oh, everything was perfect in the 1950s or something. And you're like, no, nah, no, it really wasn't. Um, he's, God is very, uh, very clear, very um, real, very earthy, I think, in these, in these texts. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's how people say it, earthy. Um, and, and it really points us to the need for that. So right now, when we get to chapter 9, our kings... Uh, just so we're on the same page, right now our king is going to be Jehu and Jehu is not king yet. Oh, it's going to be. That's what I mean. Going to be yeah. right now, and he's Joram, going to become yeah, right. king. Gotcha. Um, yes. So we have Joram. I'm sorry, I am I am all over the place in my mind. You, I mean, you had such a good review that I can't remember anything. Um, so uh, <laughs> J- <laughs> so Joram and Ahaziah are currently king when we get to chapter nine. Correct? Yes, correct. Got it. So we're on the same page. Awesome. So, uh, Pastor, are we ready to go or what? Yeah, let's dive in. All right. So, reminder to our listeners, we are studying from the English Standard Version of Second Kings chapter nine, verses one through three. Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise among, from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, I announce you king over Israel, then open the door and flee. Do not linger. So Elisha is always an interesting dynamic here. Like you said, today is the commemoration of Elisha. Thank you for highlighting that. I forgot this. He is an amazing figure in all this. You have the kings and all of a sudden Elisha inserts himself in here. Or God, the Lord brings him into here. And what is he, what is he basically telling the son of the prophet? Yeah, he's telling the son of the prophet to take this, this flask of oil and you're going to go basically anoint a new king. 
this is the this is the way in which God would indicate very often throughout the Old Testament who He's chosen to be as king. So, of course, the one you always want to look to first is, is David. And we remember uh, when Samuel goes to choose David, he takes oil with him and he finds David among his brothers, and he anoints him with oil, marking him as God's chosen king. Uh, so God, what's very interesting here, and it's very key to keep in mind, God is the one choosing who is in charge. He is the one anointing these kings. So things look, I mean, this is just one of these fascinating aspects of our Lord. Everything looks so chaotic and mad and crazy, and there's going to be a coup that's going to overthrow a king and all of this. And yet God is in charge of all of it. Here it's a lot more hands-on and apparent for us to see. We don't see it so often in our own day and age. Um, and yet, nonetheless, it, this is God's um, elected person, we might say, uh, to execute the sword uh, in, in his, for his people. So, a uh, very fascinating thing. It's curious to me here, Brady, uh, Pastor Fenner, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry, uh, who, Please. how very similar, like, what is a son of a prophet, but essentially a pastor, like an under-shepherd, right? Elisha being the chief prophet. And now here's his representative to go and deliver God's Word with a tangible, uh, with a tangible element and a word attached to it. I mean, it's almost like, here's Word and Sacrament ministry for the royalty of Israel. It's, it's very fascinating. Now, it's not one-to-one correlation with, say, uh, baptism and preaching. Nonetheless, Notice the, the work of our Lord here, how consistent it is in the Old and New Testament, where he says, I have a word for my people, I'm attaching it to a physical element, and in this mm-hmm. way, uh, uh, Jehu is going to know for certain that I have chosen him. He can always look back to the anointing with the oil and know that he is my elected king. Um, just as we would say, you can always look back to your baptism and know that you are God's chosen beloved child, because he sent one of his sons of the prophets, one of these under-shepherds, to come with a word and, and an anointing with water um, to bring us into the kingdom. So it, it's just a, a beautiful picture here, really, of the way in which God is always choosing and selecting by means of word and in and, and, and a very sacramental even way. Yeah, some to make it very obvious, and this is um, this is important, I think, as we think of everything in life, is that you want you want to know for sure, okay, this is your identity. And obviously, we agree with this with our physical bodies, that we know we're a human being because of our physicalness. We know we're male and female based on physicalness. And we also have other rites and rituals that are very important for us. Uh, obviously, the Lord's Supper, uh, baptism. I have a number of baptisms coming up, and it's just really a joy because we know that God's word is at work because we have a family standing in front of us and we see the water, we see the word, we see this yeah. at work. Um, on Sunday, it was great. We had, we had, um, we had a good crowd on Sunday, which is, which was a lot of fun. Uh, especially in Minnesota, people go to the lake. You never show if never sure if anyone's going to show up on Sunday or not, but they were there <laughs> and we got done with church and it took longer for communion. And one of our members, you know, I kind of asked for announcements and one wonderful saint raises her hand and said, it is just so great that communion took forever today. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, "This is great, so good, isn't it?" So, oh, it's so it's such a faith-filled thing, and and so we see that here. That okay, take this flask. Um, I called you to do this. Here's the physical reality, and even though it doesn't quite make sense, like why Jehu? As we see this kind of play right. out, like this doesn't sound good. And then I want to hear your thoughts on this, Pastor. Is verse three? He says, "Okay, go." I mean, it sounds such a, such a great story is, okay, anoint, you are the anointed king over Israel. Then he says, 
then open the door and run out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of, okay. like, this is a this is a great story till then, and you're like, wait, why am I gonna do that? It's kind of like this okay, is, go uh, visit that shut in, but get out as soon as you possibly can. What is happening here? What is he trying to? Say? Right. This is good pastoral ministry. You preach and you run. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is is not going to go well. Uh, what's going on here? I believe is that in in calling and announcing to Jehu that he's going to be king, he is in essence um, establishing the grounds for a coup. Uh, and so there's going to be a violent uprising. And so I believe Elisha here is, in a sense, being very pastoral and very loving towards his son of the prophet by saying, listen, you need to get out. Uh, they, they will, there is going to be violence. There is going to be attack. Further, uh, and this is just conjecture on my part, thinking through how things have kind of gone, say, with David. Um, there's, a, there's a chance in which if he lingers and stays, he becomes more than he's supposed to be. Does that make sense? Mm, mm-hmm, so that if the mm-hmm. prophet sticks around while Jehu is, is winning the day, suddenly he becomes sort of their, their good luck charm, their own little prophet who they cling to and gives them the word of God and they can call upon him. And in this manner, that is not what he's called to do in this instance. He's not called to be uh, the prophet over Israel. He's called to do this one task, to preach this one word, and then to get out of the way. Um, and I and I think you see this take place in other kings when you look at David's reign. You look at when David becomes king. Uh, kings have this tendency to like to surround themselves with yes men, uh, uh, to put prophets in place that say everything they want to hear. Um, that is not a good place for a prophet to be. And so uh, I, I have a theory here that he's saying, get out of there so that you don't get caught up in something you're not supposed to be a part of. I think this is this is a, a, a lot of thoughts are going through my mind as you say that. When you look at First and Second Kings, something that struck me is, you know, you have Ahab just keep coming up. Like you said, you know, Ahab was the worst, I think is a good way to, <laughs> he's the worst <laughs> of the kings. He's the worst. And That'd be the bumper sticker uh, if you were living in Israel. <laughs> Ahab is the worst. Yeah. The worst is that a lot of times you see this when you have a faithful king is that there's not a lot about him. You know, it kind of comes in, he was faithful, blah, 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 he's gone. Um, but yep. the worst ones kind of kept just lingering around. And part of this, who know, this is conjecture as well, but God's very good at the faithful people he puts in. He shows them being faithful, and then you move on. And even if they're faithful, he shows their sins, he shows their warts, he see, shows their problems, and, and, and shows continuously throughout the Bible, um, which makes sense, that we need help. I mean, it's clear that... There's no, I mean, besides Jesus, there's no one in there that really makes you think, boy, I really, really wish I was more like him. Oh, totally. Right. I mean, there's cases, but not not totally by any means. Any last thoughts on that before I move on? No, I think that's great. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. It I, I, Okay, that's true. I do have one more thought. Think of, <laughs> think of this with the kings and Jesus. Uh, when, when uh, 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 oh goodness, Herod is on the throne. In Mark, it's really fascinating to me. You have Herod beheading John the Baptist, and then the next account is Jesus feeding the 5,000. And Jesus looks on the people, and Mark tells us he looks at them and has compassion as though they were sheep without a shepherd. Shepherds represent kings in Old Testament language. Uh, They have no faithful king. They have a king who slaughters prophets in Herod. Uh, You have the same thing with Ahab and Jezebel. You have these people who come along working hard to silence the Word of God, because so often the Word of God gets in the way of your power plays and your desires. 
as in, in for people in authority, uh, that's a very hard thing to manage. Jesus comes and looks at the people and has compassion. He shows mercy. He doesn't use them. He loves them. Um, and so uh, very often the, the danger of these kings, as you're just alluding to here, is these kings who are the worst are the worst because they're acting in self-interest and they're acting in promoting themselves and they're not actually having compassion and love towards God's people. Uh, very interesting stuff. Okay. That is. So let's continue on. We have a few minutes before our break. 4 through 10, verses 4 through 10. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of us all? And he said, To you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house. And the young man poured the oil on his head, saying, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, I anoint you over the people of the Lord Yahweh over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord Yahweh. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. And I'll cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I'll make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and the house of Bishah, the son of Ahijah. And the king, the dogs, shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. That's quite the, quite the sermon as he ran out. Um, <laughs> exactly. Amen. So, amen, yeah, yeah. Walk out, walk out the side and leave the church, you know, as you do this. But anyways, so he finds um, the council. So it's obviously there's a crowd here and says, mm-hmm. I have a word for you. And what happens from there? What does he say? So then he says, uh, I love this, how... This is one of those instances in the Old Testament here where you, you see the historical, to me in my mind, credibility of it, because this conversation is so kind of just plain. I have a word for you. Uh, which one of us? All of us or one of us? <laughs> just you. Okay, let's go in the other room. Like It's just recording exactly how the conversation would have gone, exactly what is being said here. There's nothing too profound about it, and yet... That's what is so profound about it. There's a great, if you ever read through Martin Luther's commentary on Genesis, uh, he'll so often bring up how Genesis is recording these plain and mundane details. And he's, he's doing it, and he says, because it reminds us how much the Lord loves the plain and the mundane. He's not at work in the high and holy and magisterial things. It's very plain. And very surprising how our Lord works in this world. And so I think that's what we see taking place here. So he takes Jehu into the other room, sits him down, and anoints him with oil. Says, you are the king. And then he begins to preach to him a message that has come from Elijah, actually, that had already been preached, basically. And he says, Mm -hmm. you are now God's instrument of punishment that he prophesied would come to destroy the house of Ahab and bring the curse that God spoke over Jezebel upon her. Um, This is something that has been said would take place previously, many chapters ago. In fact, in in 1 Kings, uh, after this fascinating account where uh, Ahab is pouting one day because he really wants his neighbor Naboth's vineyard. He wants to plant Mm -hmm. his vegetables there. And Naboth says to him, uh, King, no, this is my family's inheritance. You can't have this. So Jezebel sets up this just 
horrible situation where she she sets up Naboth for failure. Uh, she invites him to a dinner, puts these two um, rascally men next to her who accuse next to him who accuse Naboth of sort of inciting insurrection or something like this, speaking out against the king. Naboth is taken out in the street and stoned to death, and uh, Jezebel comes back to Naboth. Uh, excuse me, all the names. Jezebel comes back <laughs> to Ahab and says, "I got you a present. Naboth is dead, and you can have." You can have the vineyard. God hears about this, sends Elijah. Elijah says, because of this, Ahab, your house is going to be cut off, and Jezebel, you will be eaten by dogs uh, in the city of Jezreel. You will not escape the walls. And so uh, what is going on here is the son of the prophet is showing up to Jehu and says, you are the one God has chosen. You are God's elect instrument to carry this out. You are the one to execute the law of God here on these people. And I'm sure his reaction was, well, um, uh, I'm honored. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we'll get to this on the other side of our break as we continue to study 2 Kings chapter 9 with Pastor Bob Hiller, and we'll be right back. Here's what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. It's like we Bible-believing Christians have our own special uh, event. I love that. Wish the whole world could belong to Jesus. I really appreciate this, and I'm enjoying it very, very much. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. Hi, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Are you an investor looking to support the bold and loving work of LCMS churches? Is your church or organization ready to do bold and loving work? This year, we have a ripe opportunity to bring Christ to a hurting world. Discover the role you can play in this great work. Call 800-843-5233 or visit lcef.org. That's 800-843-5233, lcef.org. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. And welcome back. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 9 with Pastor Bob Hiller. And as we've looked at the first 10 verses, it's a reminder of God's calling um, for, for this son of the prophet to go anoint a king. Kind of ironically, he gets anointed in a house without a big pomp and circumstance, and probably for a good reason, because if the message was, by the way, this is your king, and this is what he's going to do, not many people might just leave and not want to be part of this king whatsoever, 
But as we look at it, we have these 10 verses which show us once again, we need a better king. We need better order. And obviously, we need the Lord. So any last thoughts on those first 10 verses, Pastor, before we move on? Yeah, just the the one more thing I would like to point out here um, is is we will see God's faithfulness to his word, um, Mm. even his word of law, uh, which is which is a terrifying thing for those who are um, rejecting the enemies of God and his people. Uh, God's word will come to pass, and uh, this is what Jezebel and the house of Ahab are about to experience, that if you, um, you may get wealthy and rich and powerful by uh, mocking and belittling and attacking God and his people, um, but the Lord uh, knows, the Lord sees, uh, and the Lord will take care of his people, and he will bring vengeance on those he has promised to do it. Uh, so it's actually, in a certain sense, uh, a rather terrifying verse, um, in, in section in, in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But for Jehu, uh, this becomes quite different. So let's get into that. Let's continue, 11 through 13. When Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? <laughs> And he said to them, you know the fellow and his talk. And they said, that is not true. Tell us now. And he said, thus and so he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord Yahweh, I now anoint you to you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him in bare steps, in the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Now, this is, once again, you talked about the simplicity of the, 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 the narrative, the simplicity of the dialogue that's happening here. They're like, so is everything okay? Why did this madman come to you? Clearly, they could tell the son of the prophet didn't have a, a joyful message necessarily. And, and he's like, oh, you know those guys. You know how those guys are. No, actually, we <laughs> yeah. don't. Tell us more. <laughs> so what else? Any, any other thoughts on those verses? What's yeah. happening? I see Jehu here, and I, I I just try and figure out like why doesn't he just come out and tell him, here's here's what's going on. I, I wonder if he, if it's not something as simple as he's just kind of processing the situation. Like, good night. Oh, yeah. Is mm-hmm. is this something I should listen to? Is this something I should abide by? But when they force his hand, he's like, you know what? I'll tell my troops. He just told me I'm king, and they are fired up. And and it's interesting to me if we think of Jehu here almost as a sort of type or shadow of Christ, this is what the disciples want on Palm Sunday. Like, they want Jesus to say, I'm going to be king. Let's take it all over now. Let's, let's drive out Herod. Let's drive out Caesar. Let's go get him. Because these guys are fired up now. They start blowing the trumpet. They start announcing that Jehu is king. Um, mm-hmm. If you recall, when um, David is dying, one of his sons uh, does a very similar thing uh, to demonstrate that he is now king. And uh, even though David had chosen Saul, uh, he goes out and he starts blowing trumpets and he starts announcing that he's king and who is on my side versus who is on their side. And there's almost a great big battle uh, over the whole thing. Um, so, so they are here ready to go and fight for their new anointed king. They're ready to overthrow uh, Joram. And that's a great point of, of, of uh, how we, and pointing this to Jesus once again, is that this is what we wanted of a Messiah. We wanted yes. this kind of Messiah. Yes, they're, like you said, they're fired up. We finally have our leader. He got voted into office, and now we are going to be able to just, you know, kick butt and take names is kind of the, the feeling here. And, uh, of course, it doesn't it works. It doesn't work out great, but it works. Um, but it also reminds us of the difference 
of the servant leadership that we have with Jesus, that mm-hmm. ultimately the po- great power is known in weakness. Um, for when we are weak, uh, we are strong because of Christ. Right. So any other right. thoughts before we get to the assassination, all this good stuff? No, <laughs> let's get into mm-hmm. the good stuff of the assassination. <laughs> That's right. Okay, let's keep moving on. We'll go verses 14 through 20. 14 through 20. Thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshai, conspired against Joram. Now Joram, with all of Israel, had been on guard at Ramoth-Gilead against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought with Hazael, king of Assyria. So Jehu said, If this is your decision, then let no one slip out of the city to go and tell the news in Jezreel. Then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, came over down to visit Joram. Now the watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman and send to meet them, and let them say, let him say, Is it peace? So a man on the horseback went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and, and ride behind me. And the watchman reported, saying, The messenger reached them, but he is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus the king has said, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. Again, the watchman reported, he reached them, but he is not coming back. And the driving is like that of a driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshai, for he drives fiercely. So um, um, Jehu is uh, is a driver from maybe New York City. I think might be a good way to say this. And then we have other <laughs> dynamics of repeating and maybe not real clear on what's happening. People want people to follow them. There's a lot of crazy stuff in these verses. Lay this out for us. What's happening? Well, the whole thing starts with uh, Jay who's saying, all right, you guys want me to be your king? I'll do it. But do not let anybody out of here to go, you know, go tell them what, we're doing. Uh, we don't want word to get to Joram that we're about to over, overthrow him. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. so he's he's trying to keep things kind of in order, and so they set out uh, to attack. They set out to fight. Um, there's a watchman standing on the wall, which was the custom in those days, of course, to to make sure if you see people coming from a distance, uh, you could set out to make sure that they were friend or foe. Uh, so there's a watchman on the wall, and Joram hears of it and says, uh, "The watchman on the wall tells Joram there's somebody coming. Can't tell who it is." Joram says, all right, go send a rider out to see who he is. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. The guy goes out and says, is it peace with you? Are you guys coming in peace or uh, uh, in battle? Uh, with like all these old alien movies, we come in peace, right? And uh, Jehu says, what do we have to do with peace? That is not why we're here. Now, you can either fight with me on the winning side, or you can go back to your master and be destroyed. And the writer's like, you know, I'll go with you. That's a good plan. <laughs> so <laughs> this happens now twice. Um, and I think here, if it's not too much of a stretch, and maybe it is, but again, we get these sort of little hints and little glimpses of what Christ comes to do. There is language like this in the New Testament where Christ comes 
And, and you remember when he approaches the demoniac, and the demons see him, and they say, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Because they know he's not there in peace for the demons. Now, Jesus isn't going to run uh, a political coup, but he's come to overthrow the work of the devil, right? Remember, if, if you guys preached on it uh, last week, we did here in our church, uh, Jesus has come to bind the strong man. He's come to bind Satan and plunder mm-hmm. his goods. And so what you actually see taking place here is Jehu coming uh, and plundering uh, these people who are servants of, an, though this guy is the king of God's northern tribes, he's worked against them. And so Jehu is coming and saying, listen, it's time to come back to be on the side of the word of God. Well, this is precisely what Christ has done for us. He binds a strong man, draws us out of the dominion of darkness and into his kingdom. Uh, Colossians says, the kingdom of the Son, God loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there's actually a beautiful picture of the gospel here, where God's servant is rescuing uh, God's people from this sort of false and evil king who is who is running things uh, there in Israel. So uh, this is very similar to what Christ has done for us, calling us out of darkness and into his, his marvelous light, and setting us now against uh, the works of evil and darkness uh, in, in this world. So uh, that's kind of what we see hmm. going on here now. Uh, is these people are now lining up behind Jehu to go after Joram. And Joram, this next part is almost comical, like he is clueless. He has no idea what's going on. And uh, yeah, they're worried about the driving, you know, <laughs> this this guy is not a good driver. That, that's clearly not the, that's not the issue here. Uh, the driving and the furiously, he's coming quickly, so forth. Um, you're right. He's totally clueless to what's exactly happening. And I like how you connected that to Christ. And this is something we talk about all the time here on KFUO and, and on this program and every program we have, that this is Christ for you anytime, anywhere, not only anytime, anywhere, but all throughout the scriptures, that we are not saying, Jay, who is Jesus, or that he was uh, exactly like Jesus. But we see, when we see the script, scriptures as about Jesus, you're able to see a prefigurement, or you see um, a, a reflection of Christ. And here, it's simply like this. Jesus goes, calls his disciples and says, follow me. And that's what he is exactly doing here. They come, follow me. It's not just, hey, let me convince you to ride behind me. It doesn't matter. He's saying, follow me because there's darkness there, and I'm about to do the will of the Lord. So that yeah, is, uh, a, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's a sort of uh, turn around and ride behind me as a sort of uh, repent and believe kind of thing, right? I mean, there's, yeah, there's a similar, yeah. we we're turning. we're calling you to turn away from your former master, and now ride behind, I love that, follow me, get behind the true master. And that's just a, a good reminder uh, for us to follow the Lord. I mean, how many, and this is, and, and I think you and I have talked about this, Pastor, is just kind of like, you know, if we were to have a, a conference, uh, the, the Finner and Hiller cons, conference, <laughs> it would be the following conference. You know, hey, get be, get behind Jesus and and follow, and and it's just it doesn't sound quite as cool as a leadership conference, but that's how right. Scripture speaks, right? It's a it's a yes. following that we do as Christians. So, any thoughts on that before we move on? No, I I think that's I think that's an excellent point. That again, if we you you connect that all the way back to the beginning of the chapter with the son of the prophet, like his job is not out to go out and become this great leader of Israel and he's told to flee, so that precisely doesn't happen, right? He's there with a message, get behind the new king, uh, and, that's, and that is our message too, get behind this king, uh, and, we get out, and then we just flee and get out of the way and let Jesus do his work. 
Wonderful. All right. Wow, so preach. 21. All right. Let's keep going. Let's keep going here before you go all day. Here we go. 21 through 26. <laughs> Joram said, make ready. And they made ready his chariot. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, set out, each in his chariot, and went to meet Jehu, and met him at the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He said, What peace can there be so long as the whorings and the sorcerers of your mother Jezebel are so many? Then Joram refined, re- reigned about and fled, saying to Ahaziah, Treachery, O Ahaziah. And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength and shot Joram between the shoulders so that the arrow pierced his heart and he sank in his chariot. Jehu said to Bidkar and his aide, his aide, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab his father, how the Lord Yahweh made his, this pronouncement against him. As surely as I saw yesterday, the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons declares the Lord Yahweh, I'll repay you on this plot of ground. Now, therefore, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. I'll keep going to 29. When Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this, he fled to the direction of Beth Hagan, and Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him also. And when he shot him in the chariot in the ascent of Gur, but which is by Iblim, he fled to Megiddo, and he died there. His servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem, buried him in his tomb with the fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah began to reign over Judah. So it, it's very interesting because you have the dynamic of Jehu is the king. He's been anointed, but then it's the kings of Israel and Judah who are out to go after him. Um, yeah. All the power is on their side, but yet Jehu comes out victorious. Thoughts yeah, on these verses, right. Pastor? Yeah, very, very interesting stuff. Um, this is uh, God executing his judgment, just as he said he would. Uh, Jehu is his instrument of wrath in this account, uh, and it falls now on uh, Joram and Ahaziah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am, <laughs> I, I, you almost... You almost feel a little bad for Joram. Uh, he doesn't mm-hmm. get it. He's going, oh, oh, it's Jehu who's coming towards us? We should go see him. <laughs> like, he doesn't realize <laughs> right. he's driving out to his death. He trusts mm-hmm. Jehu. Jehu, as was mentioned actually by Jehu here, was one of uh, Ahab's soldiers, so he's been a faithful soldier to Israel for years. Uh, he's very high-ranking, and so, of course, Joram has no reason to suspect him of treachery. But nonetheless, uh, when he approaches Jehu, Jehu preaches the word. He speaks the word of God. How can there be peace among us while uh, the, what does he say, the whorings and the sorceries, the false teachings and the evil worship and all the sins that she has introduced into the land? How can there be peace while well, you're making a mockery of God and his people? And when he says this, um, the law of God is preached and the sin of Joram is exposed. And he, instead of repenting, flees. He runs away, uh, and he turns to Ahaziah, and he's like, oh, treachery. <laughs> like, I, I'm sure he said some other things, too. Uh, sure. And he starts fleeing. But you cannot see – there's no escaping God's wrath apart from Christ. 
There's no escaping the punishment and judgment apart from the places where God has promised to show mercy. And so he now flees from God and his word, but that is an even more hopeless endeavor than where he was before. Uh, And so now we know uh, that Jehu sees that he was called upon to execute God's word because he, he, he proclaims it. He looks at his assistant there, the, the marksman, and he says, this is exactly what we were told when we were following Ahab. This is exactly what God said would take place. Now, mm. I'll, I'll try not to go too long, and I'm sorry, but it is very important to note this, where he dies. He dies in the vineyard of Naboth, the very mm-hmm. place that was stolen from Naboth by the wicked machinations of Jezebel, just as God said would happen. Now, I was. It, this is very interesting, so I have to share this. I was having dinner with a gentleman this past week who was talking to me about archaeology that takes place over in that part of the world. And he brought, I didn't bring this up, he happened to bring up Second Kings 9, because that's not something wow. I talk about every weekend. <laughs> he said <laughs> that there were uh, all of these uh, sort of liberal Bible scholars who said this is a very poetic ending, so clearly it can't be true. Besides, if you go to that valley in that region, where he supposed where uh, J Joram supposedly died there's no land where you could actually grow crops there's no place to do uh, vineyards there's none of that there mm-hmm. so this was just kind of the assumption and this was all just sort of a poetic ending made up you know well recently uh, this gentleman I was having dinner with has a friend who's an archaeologist and she met with some uh, vineyard workers who just happened to be in the area and they said in that roadway where Joram would have been fleeing there is a plot of land with the best possible soil in the world. It's like one small strip, but some of the best possible soil in the world to grow vines. <laughs> and wow. so it's like, it's just once again, archaeology backing up what we already know to be true from Scripture. They're saying like, this is, if you read the text really closely, this is very likely where he would have been shot right in this area. There's a perfect land strip here for vineyards and vegetables. Uh, this is Naboth's vineyard, and they, they know pretty much essentially where it is. And so we know where all of this took place, and it's right in the region, the text says. So it's so just one of those fun little archaeological insights here uh, that I thought would be worth bringing up. And that, does, and that does bring up the reality of why Ahab would have wanted this land so badly. Yeah, you know, why they yes. would be, and why uh, Naboth would not want to give it up either. This wasn't just a uh, oh, you know, like having carrots, which I can buy at the store for 99 cents. Um, this is a this is a livelihood. This is providing for my family. Um, and it looks it looks kind of it goes back to David and Nathan and the and the parable. You know, you, this guy has all this stuff and then he takes the guy's one sheep um, and, and, and he's like, oh, this is terrible. And like, well, you're that guy. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's the same kind of storyline. It, but this, this is, it just shows why would this be so valuable to the yep. owner and Naboth? Well, because it was for his family. And why would yep. he want it? Um, because of its value. So, yeah, yep. it, sin just runs wild this whole time. So any other thoughts before we move on to the last few verses? No, uh, just, just that uh, notice now how uh, Ahaziah and Joram, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, uh, their rulers meet the same fate because both of them have been taking up the sin of Jezebel. Um, and so this is this is what the punishment of God's wrath upon them, which, by the way, God said would happen in the covenant curses uh, mm-hmm. in, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, that if you worship false gods, punishment will come upon you, suffering will come upon you. And so God is just being faithful to his word. 
Let's continue as we hear more about, and to this point, it's like, wait, what about Jezebel? These guys are obviously a problem, but Jezebel always seems to be, well, maybe she's actually the worst. I'm not quite sure, but she's definitely not the best. That's for sure. So 30 to 37, let's continue on. Then Jehu came to Jezreel, and Jezebel heard of it. And she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked looked out of the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three more eunuchs looked out at him. He said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled on her. Then then he went in and ate and drank, and he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet of the palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he has spoken by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, This is Jezebel. It's quite the quite the story. It's something you don't have in Sunday school by any means. These are not. Past, I didn't get this one on the felt board. You know. No, this was uh, not. No, this was not an art book um, growing up. But uh, but it it, it it does show us something very serious. Like you said, the wrath of God. Um, it, he's faithful to even his wrath, um, which points us to the law. But and, yep. and this is and this is serious. I mean, this is something where. Um, when someone passes, we want to show dignity. And here God goes so far as to say that she doesn't even deserve dignity in her death and her burial. So what's what's happening, Pastor? We have about three minutes left here. How would you put all this together? So what do you got in these verses here first? I would actually suggest that up to this point, Jehu has demonstrated faithfulness as a king. But now he demonstrates that we need a better king. Because he knows the word. He quotes the word that says Jezebel should die and be devoured by dogs in Jezreel. And instead of abiding by that word, which he clearly knows because he quotes it, he says in capturing Jezebel, we should give her a noble, honorable death because she is a queen. Um, He's going by custom and not by word. Uh, And so uh, this is a demonstration that as good as he's been and as faithful as he's been up to this point, even in dire circumstances, He's still not good enough. He's, he's, he's a king who falls short. He doesn't do God's will. Jezebel is, is fascinating. She goes down you know, in a blaze of glory. You almost think of the Magnificat here, uh, where Mary mm-hmm. thinks he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Uh, Jezebel comes out trying to demonstrate how high and mighty she is. She sees the writing on the wall. She knows she's about to die, but she's going to die in glory. <laughs> but mm. God will not allow it. He has her devoured by dogs. She puts on makeup, beautiful dress probably, comes out looking noble and glorious, and God says, what the world sees as noble and glorious, I see as sinful and wicked. And she's thrown down and devoured by the dogs. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a devastating and shameful death for her, that even when the most powerful guy in the story, besides God, of course, Jehu tries to do her some service and show her some dignity, um, God won't have it. Because God will not have her buried somewhere that can be honored and revered, and people can go back and say, remember Jezebel and the great things we had under her and her reign. He will not have that, because she is, she is going to go down as a wicked, wicked person in the history of the, of the Church. To the point, we don't even know 
where she's buried and we don't need to know where she's buried because no one can say there's Jezebel because it's in the stomach of these dogs. That's um, right. It is, it's a very, it's a very humbling and very, well, very dark reality yeah. uh, yep. of kind of like, if you, we want to know where our loved ones are buried, obviously for the sake of the resurrection and so forth, but, but it also for the sake of us knowing there they are out of dignity and respect. Pastor, we have about a minute left here. How would you summarize this chapter and what it means for us? What it means for us is that, uh, first is saying, we need to pray for those in authority over us that they would be faithful in carrying out God's will, but also don't be disappointed, or sh- maybe disappointed is the wrong word, don't be shocked when they don't. We need a greater king, and the only great king we truly have who is faithful to God's word to the end is Jesus Christ. And here's what the Lord Jesus has done for you. He has rescued you, and he has bound the strong man, plundered his goods. You are his goods when he baptized you, crucified you with himself, and raised you to a new life. Christ has brought you into his kingdom, uh, away from Satan, death, and the devil, uh, from hell and your own sinful nature. Christ has rescued you and redeemed you. Just as Jehu overcame the evil work of Joram and Ahab and, and, and Jezebel, Christ has overcome Satan, and he's done it for you. And that is a, that is a joyful message that we have today. Pastor Bob Hiller of Community Lutheran Church in Escondido and San Marcos, California, helping us to see Christ in 2 Kings chapter 9. Pastor Hiller, thank you for being our guest. God bless you, my friend. Thank you for having me on. Saints of our Lord, God is faithful to his word, and he uses those whom he's called to do, even if the calling is not that great. And he's called uh, uh, Jehu to be a, a person of wrath, because you know what? God's law is serious, and Ahaziah, Joram, and Jezebel felt it. And that's a reminder for us, that's what we deserve. But it is our Lord Jesus who's taken the wrath upon himself, so that what we deserve is not given to us, but put on the shoulders of our Lord Jesus, and in that we have life and light and salvation. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. 